Well, amen. Uh, I have no doubt that this is uh, a God-appointed time for us. We had this on the schedule, as you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I think it was mentioned last week, it was interesting, David had called that week and said, oh, we got sickness on the team, we're not going to be able to make it, let's reschedule, rather than trying to push through and, and, and not have the whole effort, and so we said, let's do that, we figured out, and, and then that's the Sunday we had the ice storm anyway, so God, <laughs> God knew ahead of time what we were doing and had this all set, and so here we are. Sunday, January 23rd, we're excited about the opportunity uh, to have Life Catalyst with us, our own uh, Dr. David Hubble, and I'm going to let him do all the introductions, but uh, as he's here to share with us, folks, we're not here to simply talk about the problems of our society. We know that's sin, and sin looks a whole lot of different ways to a whole lot of different people. We're here to talk about the greatest solution the world has ever known, and more than just the solution, the answer is the person of Jesus Christ. And as Paul and I had the opportunity to pray with the team this morning, uh, it was very clear that their heart's desire is what I'm sure you would want it to be, and that is God-focused and centering on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to see this morning as we talk about the needs of our community and how Jesus can answer them. So I'm going to give you to Dave, and he's going to take it from here and share the rest. Good morning. It's great to be here to be able to share with you today. Uh, we really appreciate uh, Pastor Glenn and Pastor Paul uh, for inviting us to come and to share with you. Uh, you may notice, if you'd notice some of the introductory material, that one of us is missing. Uh, there was to be a gentleman here by the name of Rob Norris, who two days ago tested positive for COVID. Uh, so he's not here, but we trust that God uh, has a plan with that. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity to meet uh, Taylor and Paul for just a moment here. Uh, they're going to disappear for a while. Uh, but they'll be in the next hour, I'd encourage all those who can stay, uh, would really love to have you do that. Paul's going to have a few things to share at the opening uh, that are very significant from his uh, uh, experience and what God is using him in. And we're going to open it up to question and answer. You can ask anything you want. Uh, we're wide open uh, as it relates to substance abuse, as it relates to life-controlling issues, as it relates to us and our lives and uh, our experiences so we'd invite you to, uh, to do that. Uh, I want to share just a couple things about Life Catalyst. Uh, we usually forget to do this because we don't want to talk about the organization. We want to talk about uh, Christ and uh, how we deal with life-controlling issues. Uh, some of you will remember that about four years ago, uh, Pastor Glenn asked me to bring a prayer request. I was working with an organization at the time called uh, Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge. They were looking to open a facility here in the area. And uh, we were praying about a zoning issue. That zoning issue was denied by the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania. And so they determined not to open anything in northeastern Pennsylvania, but my heart was in northeastern Pennsylvania. And so I left that organization to see what could be done here. And in doing that, uh, I began to do some research 
and do a feasibility study and found that what we really needed was something in the area of what we call non-residential treatment. Uh, typically, people who have substance abuse will go to a detox and then go to uh, a rehab center. They may be there for 14 days, 21 days, 28 days. Uh, some programs, uh, maybe as much as a year. But when it's over, you come out. And when you come out, you often go back to the same environment that you, you were in before. And it's great when you're in the bubble, when you're protected, uh, but when you come out, life is real, and you're right back in that situation. And so there's a need for ongoing things. So what we do, we're structured with really four goals or four particular areas that we work with. We work with people who are in recovery. Now, sometimes it means as we begin to work with people, we find people who need to go to, to rehab or detox. And so we assist them in finding uh, places to do that. The gentleman who's not here, you'll see him on video in just a minute. Uh, that's what he does. Uh, he operates 10 rehabs across the country. And uh, sometimes we work with some of his facilities, sometimes with others in helping people get placed. And then as people come out, we work with people in recovery, not just once you're off the substance, that's one thing, but the substance is not the problem. The substance mm -hmm. is a problem, but it's not the problem. And so we deal with the heart. And then not only do we deal with the people who are in recovery, we deal with the families, because families also have issues. And one of the sayings in the rehab world is that, that uh, uh, the addict is addicted to the substance, and the family is addicted to the addict. It controls their life and their thinking. And so we deal with families. And then we deal with families who have lost loved ones through addiction. And that's a particular challenge, the shame, the, the regret, the pain, uh, that is a little bit different and special in losing someone to addiction as, as other kinds of loss. And then fourthly, we deal with people, uh, we invite people and work with people to help train them to work with people in addiction. But all of that means nothing if it isn't local. You know, we're not talking about what's going on out there. We're talking about what's going on in here. We're talking about northeastern Pennsylvania. We're talking about Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. We're talking about Heritage Baptist Church. We're talking about my heart. We're talking about Taylor's heart. We're talking about Paul's heart. We're talking about your heart. A couple weeks ago, I was reading a sermon uh, by Charles Spurgeon, and I just want to read you a paragraph of what he has to say. Once more, it's, this is on a sermon uh, from Job 42, verses 5 and 6. He says, once more, when God is seen with admiration, then of necessity, we are filled with self-loathing. The more you appreciate God, the more you will depreciate yourself. While the thought of God rises higher and higher and higher, you also will sink lower and lower in your own esteem. The word used by Job, I abhor myself, is a strong one. It might be paraphrased thus, I nauseate myself. I am disgusted with myself. 
I cast forth from my soul every proud thought of myself, cast it out from me as sickening and an intolerable thing. Ah, friends, you have not seen God aright if your abhorrence turns on your fellow men. But if the one you abhor is yourself, you are not mistaken. A sight of God will make us regard our fellow creatures with sympathy as involved in the same sin and misery as ourselves. And if we can look on others and point a finger, we've not seen God. We're going to start with a quick introduction of how this relates to Clark Summit, where you have a three-and-a-half-minute video of Rob Norris, a man who came to Christ under the ministry of Mark Stinsey a mile and a half from here, over at Parker Hill Clark Summit, who lives in Clark Summit, who did rehab in Northeast PA, and uh, has been an advisor with us uh, from the beginning. Run the video. Maybe it's time for you to take that step. Again, spoken by a Clark Summit resident. We're thrilled to have Paul Kiesling here. Uh, Paul drove over 100 miles to be here this morning. Uh, Paul left his wife, who has some health issues, and and out of, uh... oh, turn your mic on there, Paul, would you? Uh, I'm not, sorry, my sign language reading skills are a little, that's good. Uh, but Paul has been an advisor with us. Paul's wisdom has been great. And uh, he has local connections. And Paul, just kind of introduce yourself and tell us great. a bit about that. Well, it was good to get up and ride up to home this morning. Uh, many of you know my brother, Raleigh Kiesling. We call him my much older brother, and you can, you can quote me early and often on that. Um, he's actually in Florida this morning, but the good news is the cold weather followed him down there, so uh, we're, we're thinking a little warmer. Uh, so I, I grew up in Scranton, uh, and we lived the uh, latter part of our life in Mount Cobb, but I'm one of the Kieslings that got out of town um, and uh, attended college, seminary, and graduate school elsewhere, but, but this is where I call home. Mm. Um, and I grew up at Hickory Street Baptist Church, and one of my first memories or encounters with Baptist Bible College back then was our, our first pastor, Keith Rose, uh, who uh, touched my life. I remember sitting in Sunday school class with Keith, learning Greek words and, and <laughs> linking those to uh, real biblical truth. And it's also where I had my first encounter with alcoholism because Pastor Keith took us up to the Bowery Mission in New York City on a rainy Sunday night and mm. said, you need to see the face of sin in a different way and see how it tears lives apart. And I credit that with any number of other influences in my life to say a career in social work and caring for people was, was my path. So I spent 45 years in that career working with persons with mental challenges and addictions and often the combination of both. And we had a program for folks who didn't fit in other programs. Mm. So we, we tried to be the place where there was no other place to go, you would come to us. And we learned a lot about hope and healing and encouragement. And we learned that community and belonging was a big part of that. 
Um, and as I was developing that career, I also had a life within the church. So uh, we led a church plant for 10 years. I've been a deacon, an elder, small group leader, and just about everything else but lead pastor in a church. So I have a great passion for the local church and see the church as an answer, as God's provision for his people. You know, we're saved to be one with Christ, but right in the heels of that, John 13 through 17, is we are given to one another. And as we are one with Christ and one with the Father, we are one with one another. And so we see the church as a real pivotal part of that healing recovery process. Um, much more to say about that, and I'm not going to say much more because we really want you to come back later and, and really dig into what the local church can be doing to support not just Life Catalyst, but each one of us. You know, Man. the truth about addictions is that it's the truth for every one of us. Uh, maybe just shown in a different way, but we are all desperately lost until Christ calls us to himself and calls us to each other. So that's mm. the encouragement we want to bring to you this morning. And I'd like to introduce Taylor Bitter. Uh, Taylor works with me in Life Catalyst, and just tell us a quick intro. Okay. Um, my name's Taylor Bitter. I am from uh, South Jersey, just about 10 minutes from Philadelphia. And um, uh, one, I just want to say that uh, sitting here looking out at every single one of you, it's very moving this morning. Every face that has... Um, a life, a heart, a story, a marriage, a child, uh, a cousin, a nephew, a niece, a best friend, a father, a mother, grandparents, um, just every connection that, uh, and some are family in here, that just, uh, you know, what we're addressing this morning, I believe, touches every life. I, I have yet to meet one person who says, I know nothing about that or have never witnessed it or heard of it from a friend. Um, and so uh, that to me is just so incredible just to uh, look at all of you and, and feel a little broken and a little vulnerable, <laughs> more than a little vulnerable and completely okay with that. Uh, standing in the front, uh, my connection here is uh, Paul Osborne. <laughs> he, uh, worshiping with you this morning was wonderful. Um, I hadn't seen uh, Paul since I was probably about 11 or 12 um, in New Jersey. He actually uh, attended um, and was on staff at uh, a church I grew up in. Yes, I grew up in church. I was born in church. I was there five days a week, uh, if not more. We cooked for families. We did all of that. And uh, boy, did I love the Lord and had a heart for him. And things changed. And, uh, you know, I'll share more about that in a bit. But um, I'm so grateful to be here. And um, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. As we think about the, uh, the Clark Summit connection and how much it's a part of who we are, uh, some of you know me, some of you don't know me, some of you know me better than you wish you did. Uh, I've, been, I've been a member here since, I don't know, 94, 95, 
And then many years before that, as a student across the street, uh, I attended here, you know, back in the days of Pastor Benedict. And, uh, uh, you know, I won't go on with the list, but uh, that kind of gives you an idea. Anybody ever heard of Pastor Benedict? <laughs> okay, four of you, okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, so we're, you know, we've been here a long time. And uh, uh, our family uh, went through, you know, a lot of them went through middle school, high school here. And uh, we just want to be reminded that, you know, when people, as Taylor mentioned, growing up in church, growing up in church very much like ours, uh, an individual who loved the Lord very much, uh, and things began to happen in life. And, uh, you know, I'm just reminded that you can't see this probably very well, but you can maybe squint and see that that's a two-year-old child. Uh, That's, you know, you don't expect that child to grow up to be an addict. That's not, you know, the, the, that's not their desire. That's not what parents are looking for. Uh, Or to be with their grandfather, who you probably don't recognize from this picture, but was pastor of Heritage Baptist Church. Uh, charming enough to be with the President of the United States, uh, George Bush. A graduate of Abington Heights High School. A young lady that sang in this auditorium, that sat about right here. Graduated with honors from Abington Heights High School. Attended Baptist Bible College. Cheerleader at Baptist Bible College. Became a counselor to women with, uh, uh, who had uh, learning disabilities and loved her job. She's our oldest daughter. She died as a result of a drug interaction because of an addiction for 10 years she was in agony for those years son, daughter of a pastor granddaughter of two pastors a lover of God but trapped incredible shame Incredible remorse, incredible pain. And I don't want to be harsh, but the Church of Jesus Christ looked the other way and continues to this day to look the other way. You see, according to the Center on Disease Control, even with COVID raging, addiction is our nation's greatest health concern. but sometimes is hidden. It drives our court system. I've had judges across the country that I've talked to personally have told me 75% of cases would disappear if it wasn't for drug issues. According to the Luzerne County uh, District's, District's, District Attorney's Office, 13% of the residents of Luzerne County are or should be in treatment. 
That's 60,000 people. Seventy percent, however, of those in addiction are classified as functional. That means that they go to work every day. They have a job, but they are in addiction. They cannot escape the need for a substance. One day I was at a local pharmacy picking up a, a prescription on a holiday weekend. I'm the only person in the store. The pharmacist asked me what I do. I told him, he said, do you have a weekend program? Another pharmacist in the area told me that the saying among pharmacists is, if you're not using, you're lying. A couple of years ago, uh, one of my daughters had surgery down in Philadelphia, Temple University. Uh, I began talking with this anesthesiologist. He's an MD, PhD, MBA, uh, travel every month. He's in a different country doing seminars on anesthesiology, but he also does seminars on substance abuse among the medical community. He told me that 25% of anesthesiologists are using. That's how widespread these issues are. 88% uh, of individuals in addiction will never go to residential treatment. And that's why we work in a non-residential setting to be able to meet. There's all kinds of reasons why that never happens. Some don't want to, but some have very real obstacles. Uh, you may hear on the news, uh, you may hear, you know, anybody that needs help can get it. Uh, I can, every day, practically, I talk to people who somehow are not in that category and having have trouble finding help, affording help, knowing where to go for help. And for every individual in addiction, there are family members. And those family members are struggling. They're in pain. They're in agony. Every moment wondering what's going on with their loved one. Are they alive or are they dead? Uh, are they going to be getting a call that they're in jail? Are they going to get that other call that nobody wants to get? And so we have a real heart for, for working with those people. And yet we believe firmly that the answer is found in Scripture. We believe that, and, and really our key, one of the key thoughts that we have comes from Isaiah 61, and if you came in, you probably got a scripture card. You might have thought it's a book, some of you might have thought it's a bookmark, but a lot of you don't know what bookmarks are, so, uh, so it's a scripture card, okay? And uh, as you look at Isaiah chapter 61, we read about the Messiah who's coming. And, you know, in, in Luke 4, Jesus picked up the scroll and began to read and read from this passage and concluded by saying, this day, these words have been fulfilled in front of you. And so, for us, this is our commission and this is our mission to express to others this truth and this power. And let me just read these words to you. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, 
to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And that he will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. Did you know people in addiction, it's progressive, it, it just keeps getting worse, it does not turn around without intervention. And we're called life catalysts because you know, a catalyst is, is an agent that stimulates or provokes change, significant change in behavior or action. And all we want to do is stimulate change through the Word of God because it's God who changes lives. And you know what He changes those lives to? He changes those lives to righteous trees that He planted. And our heart is to help us understand that no one is in worse shape than we are. There's no addict on the face of the earth that's any more sinful than my heart. There's no addict on the world that has grieved God more than my heart. And if we look at others in that situation and we look down or we look away, we have not seen Christ. One definition that I like of addiction is that Addiction is running back to what hurts you for help. The person in addiction knows it's going to hurt him, but they also find that temporary relief and that help. We all do that. Whatever is controlling our lives. The very thing that we think will satisfy ends up trapping us. And there's only one answer to that. And that's the healing of the heart. And we have to heal the heart not by looking for healing, but by looking to Christ. Because it's the healer that makes the difference. Taylor's going to tell you a little bit about how Christ healed her heart. Okay. That was great. Thank you. when uh, David introduced himself, I know a lot of you know him, but when he was talking just a little brief about his history and, and work and had mentioned Teen Challenge, he said that was about four years ago. Um, and it helps put a time frame in there, at least for me. Um, these years have been so full and so powerful what God has done in my life that um, I can forget to go, when did I meet David and Susan? And I met them while I was in Teen Challenge in Germantown, Philadelphia. I was in a women's home, faith-based rehab. And um, I'd been suffering from... It's amazing when I hear other stories and I think of levels that we try to put on where we are in our addiction. (laughs) 
But when the Lord showed me, or when I hit my knees in utter desperation about a month before going, one month before going to Teen Challenge, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. And the shame and the guilt don't matter anymore. Um, I couldn't hide any longer because I had just spent seven days in the ICU, never been there before, with um, a blood alcohol level of uh, 0.56. I don't know if we have any medical people in here, but I've spoken to a few that said that's pretty horrible. You know, and to not be in a coma, to have my family and some people from church listening, uh, to hear gurgling in my organs, to make sure things were functioning. You know, I don't want to paint anything utterly tragic. I just want to be, like, transparent, to not say, oh, it wasn't that bad. I only drank this much or had one beer or hear someone else say, well... You know, I only had an extra pill or two today. I've heard other experiences. Mine was alcohol. And thank God that was enough. Um, because it, it, it almost took my life. And there are many days sitting with David and Susan and having dinner last night and talking to Susan and we're doing the dishes. And I'm like, you know, for God to, to, to keep my life, he kept me. Right? And others he brings home. I know there are people in here who lost people or are waiting for that phone call. And uh, so that's what, like a lot of times why I have, I have such a deep sensitivity to brokenness or people who worry about their loved ones or even themselves to sit and say, there's no difference. <sighs> And I, I think, actually, sometimes I sit with some women, and, you know, some men, but I, I think my heart breaks sometimes more for them than I even did for myself. Um, to where, you know, I was reading a prayer last night, uh, and... Uh, I don't usually read prayers. I've shared this before, but it said something very specific to me. It was like the Lord cared about me more than I cared about myself. Like, I didn't know how to just kind of go, all right, I'm just going to get better. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to be brave. I was so full of fear of what everyone would think. My mom didn't go to church anymore. I think she was just so burdened by watching me fall down flights of stairs, get hurt. I'd be okay for a few weeks, and then I was not okay again. I'd isolate, wouldn't talk, and she didn't know what to do. I know her heart was broken. Boy, I wish you could see her now <laughs> to see me just alive every day and to have purpose and vision of what God has for me. And uh, it wasn't until I met David and Susan, and I graduated Teen Challenge, and I came home. I had no clue what to do. I knew 
I had a personal relationship with the Lord. I knew that he loved me. I knew Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay? But what I needed to know, and it was through a relapse. Yeah, I went to Teen Town for an entire year. And I came back out into the world, and I thought I had all the, well, I got, I got to get a job now. Well, I can't just sit around all day. I got to be busy. I got to do. I got to get a job. I got to make money. And, you know, uh, figure things out. Rebuild relationships. Go to AA meetings. I'll be honest, that was my aftercare. Was, it wasn't addressed uh, for about a year. It was, it was all spiritual, but then... My help when I came out was go to AA and go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I still go into AA. We call it the fishing hole. (laughs) I love it. I love, I love just being there and, and being able to say, I know who my higher power is. It is God and his son is Jesus Christ. And he was the hope that freed me from my bondage. It was that relapse that turned me to truly understand David's prayer in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restored me the joy of my salvation. I needed the joy. And I needed willingness. And a willing spirit to sustain me, right? Because it was not going to be overnight. He was going to take me day by day through every challenge. Sorry. He's that good. He's so good. <laughs> a clean heart, and it's in the study I did, you know, a clean heart, another word is tender heart. I was like, whoa. It wasn't just washed and clean, but it was tender and sensitive. And loved the brokenhearted, loved the prisoners, loved unbelievers, loved other believers who were full of worry or fear or doubt because they weren't, they weren't seeing God move in the lives of their children. And then what does is, what is God tell us? He said to come around each other, to build each other up, to encourage each other, embrace each other, and say, how can I pray for you? Do you need to talk? What do you need? How can I help? And it was because as Life Catalyst was being born and God said, I'm going to just, I'm going to bless this ministry. I had no idea. All those things I just listed, that 
was what was shown to me. Paul had mentioned um, community, right? Belonging, relationships. And I had that, you know, the Lord was really working in my heart and he also gave me people who loved, loved me. Not well, but when I was unwell and never gave up on me. I'm just going to end um, this part by just, uh, I had read something uh, a couple weeks ago and I couldn't believe what I was reading. And uh, it's in this just amazing little devotional I have and uh, really powerful And I wanted to share it with you this morning. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. John 4.14 My heart needs thee. O Lord, my heart needs thee. No part of my being needs needs thee like my heart. All else within me can be filled by thy gifts. My hunger, satisfied by his daily bread my thirst allayed by earthly waters, my cold can be removed by household fires, weariness relieved by outward rest, but no outward thing can make my heart pure. The calmest day will not calm my passions, the fairest scene will not beautify my soul, the richest music will not make harmony within, the breezes can cleanse the air, but no breeze can cleanse a spirit. This world has not provided for my heart. It has provided for my eye, my ear, my touch, my taste. It's provided for my sense of beauty, but it has not provided for my heart. Provide thou for my heart, O Lord. It is the only unwinged bird in all creation. Give it wings, O Lord, give it wings. And he has given it wings. Be thou the strength of my heart. Be thou its fortress in temptation. Its shield in remorse, its cover in the storm, its star in the night, its voice in the solitude. Guide it in its gloom. Help it in its heat. Direct it in its doubt. Calm it in its conflict. Fan it in its faintness. Prompt it in its perplexity and lead it through its labyrinth. Raise it from its ruins. I cannot rule this heart of mine. Keep it under the shadow of thine own wings. And that is how um, every day walking with the Lord, you know, is every day. And he has promised to sustain me until he brings me home. But until then, he just wants to purify me and uh, reflect his son in me. And what an honor that is to serve him. So, thank you. We want to offer you an opportunity to move forward and to put some of these thoughts into practice. The core of what we do, the the central focus that, from which we spring is 
we meet in small groups, uh, one to 12 <laughs> participants as, as people show interest. And our first group we call Insight. It's a group to gain insight into life controlling issues of all sorts, to understand there are predictable patterns in our lives, recognizing that sometimes that's a substance and sometimes it's not a substance that controls us. And it's a group for people who think they might have a problem, who know they have a problem, who don't think they have a problem, or who want to help people with problems. And uh, we believe strongly that real-world help is centered on the Word of God, the Son of God, and the people of God. It's the Word from which we learn, it's Christ to whom we look, and we have been commissioned to care for one another, to grow together, to be open, to be vulnerable, to be real, and not to be judged, but to be accepted and loved and to reach out to others who are in pain. And as I said before, not looking away, not looking down, but walking together, looking up at Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we have out in the foyer a sign-up sheet. Uh, actually, most people register at our website, but, uh, which is on the back of the scripture card. Not the bookmark, the scripture card. And, uh, but there's a sign-up sheet if you want. We're offering, uh, Heritage is, is uh, very eager to see lives changed and people transformed and to grow. So starting uh, February 17th, that's a Thursday, uh, you can sign up for a 10 a.m., 2 p.m., or a 6.30 p.m., I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, those, this goes for nine weeks. Now, if you happen to be in a, uh, a community group uh, on Thursday night, you're not allowed to come on Thursday night. But, uh, <laughs> but and if those things don't work, we'll, we'll do other days. We'll work things. If you have an interest, we do Zoom. In fact, Zoom has opened up. We, we launched during COVID, which was just really a disaster. Uh, but, uh, and yet, God. We have a meeting. Taylor and I will be at tomorrow evening, three hours from here in South Jersey, where we're meeting with 12 individuals in a church. And... God is just doing great things in lives. And so what we thought was Northeast PA has become a, a bigger thing. Uh, but again, uh, we want people in need to understand that, that peace is found in Christ. Have you ever prayed for peace? I would be shocked if there was anybody here who hadn't. But what do we kind of think? God, give me peace. Oh, I need peace. Just let it fall. Just encompass me like a cloud. That's not what the Word of God says about peace. That's not the way we find peace. Peace is found in Christ. And, you know, when we step up, God steps in. And I just want to know what God is calling, step God is calling you to do. Maybe He's calling you to take a step. And... If you want to help others, again, uh, you know, I, 
I saw a phrase by Spurgeon a bit ago that said, when Jesus is at the center of the church, a ring of sinners surrounds it. When Jesus is at the center, a ring of sinners surrounds it because he draws people, hurting people unto himself, and he heals them. And I would just say to you, if this area concerns you, if you're scared, if you're worried, don't let what you don't know keep you from doing what you, you can do. And uh, we want to walk along beside you. I'd also, just so that you are aware, we provide our services without cost. We will not solicit you. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, it says, Come, everyone who's thirsty, to the water. And you... And, excuse me, come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on that which is not food, and your wages on that which does not satisfy? If that's not a picture of addiction, I don't know what it is and life-controlling issues, spending our money on things that don't satisfy. And yet, you notice the gospel comes without price and without cost, and so we offer it to you without price and cost, and we just trust God to allow us to be able to do that.